Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 well welcome back as we head into hour three it is a delight to do so with our good buddy sam stone sam stone for your drive home we do this on thursdays when he's in town sam is a uh, political consultant in town you can follow him on twix which is uh, twitter and x combined uh at sam the paul p-o-l he also hosts his own radio show heard here every saturday afternoons at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. So good to see you, Sam. You too, Seth. Although, I, I got to start out today with a bit of a rant. Before I mean, you do, I want to tell people about you. Okay. Because there, there's this a has jealous... been bothering me since this morning, uh, but right. you go ahead. Just, just yeah. nip it in the bud for half yeah, a moment. Uh, okay. The resentment I have is when you come in to the studio, everyone flocks to you to talk to you about... all. You are a polymath. You are a polymath. You're able to speak on very many different things diverse range of subjects, and everyone just wants to talk to you about sports games, and I feel like I'm just left out in the middle here, you know. Well, I, I keep inviting I you. I to... an hour every week, and they just stop you in the hall to talk about everything about sports. And yet I keep inviting you to go to sports games. I know you do. <laughs> I know you <laughs> <And> do. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like, I know. The problem with me at a sports game is um, I, I don't, I, it, 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 won't, it won't end well. <laughs> it's like putting a goldfish so, in salt water. So years and years ago when I was living in Boston, I used to take the tea back home sure. uh, on the red line, and that went right by Fenway. And well, I know days, that line. Five bucks you could get into a bleacher seat, right? Sure. So I would be popping in the bleacher right seat. Right at Kenmore Square, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. All the time I'd be just popping off there and seeing if there's a ticket and just run into sure. the stadium, catch the game. It was fantastic. Well, one day, Friday night catch a Yankees Red Sox game oh, there wow. and there are these two guys sitting in front of me Yankees fans Yankees hats Yankees jerseys the whole thing and they are being obnoxious the whole game they are talking trash the whole game and I can see the crowd is getting more and more annoyed about the seventh inning comes around one of the Yankees hits a home run they take a big lead everyone's furious these guys are jumping up and down screaming turning around in everyone's face and finally and I'm sitting there I'm nervous as heck finally this guy stands up behind me he must be like 6'4 350 right stands up behind me goes that's it get him and the entire crowd dog piles over the top of me onto these two guys. So if that's you, yeah. no, I'm not taking you no, to no, any no. sports games. No, I'm the guy they tackle. Uh, but Fenway Park is is a lot of fun. They take their sports very seriously there. Dad used to take me to Padres games on 4th of July and stuff in San Diego. Oh, yeah. It's a whole different thing when he took me to a – people are hanging from the – I don't know if they still do. They're hanging from the beams and it's just – Boston's different. It's totally different. And it's not quite the same now. Okay. You know, I mean, in general, crowds are kind of more contained yes. now than they were back in the day. Um, one of the reasons, obviously, they cut off beer after the seventh yes, inning. Yes, I understand. You yeah. had a lot of incidences yeah. in the eighth and ninth. Rough house um, turned to tears. <laughs> but but Fenway is different. I mean, I actually went to um, a Catholic friend of mine, took me to Mass one morning with them when I was staying with them. And the uh, the priest, the sermon he gave 
was about the glories of the Red Sox yep. and the lament of the evil empire. Oh, I mean, funny. literally, and, and you have never seen a more rapturous audience. Oh, I, bet. I mean, boy, he hit every note for those folks. Oh, wow. Even I was like, man, I'm converting. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go. Where's the baptism? And they're okay with beer, so. Yeah. No. All right. You came in wanting to process a resentment. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this, Seth, because I, I, I got up this morning. I was out of coffee. Yeah, happens. Is, this is a crisis in my household, though. Yeah, it shouldn't happen, but it does. It's like running out of gas. It shouldn't happen. It should not happen, but it, but does. it does. So I had to run to the store, first thing. Yeah. And, okay, th- th- listen, folks, I, if this is you, I'm sorry. I just can't help it. The pajamas. <laughs> yes, totally the pajamas. Totally. They've got to go. Yeah. You can't. You, you Stop. Just put on something that resembles outside wear before you go to the store. Half the bloody store there this morning is in pajama pants. Something that shows you care. Something that shows you have some degree of self-confidence. Understand, like, this this is 6.30 in the morning. I'm not all that self-confident, but I'm confident enough to, like, scrub my hair down and put on some (laughs) jeans. Like that, it's a society we're building here. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like this is just not okay. If there is a less attractive, like out and about yeah. attire, correct. It's that. It's that. Yeah, I totally agree. It's the it's it's the cognate to uh, wearing sweatpants in public. Let me let me get a little audio here on this, if I might. Again with the sweatpants. <laughs> Comfortable. You know the message you're sending out to the world with these sweatpants? You're telling the world, I give up. I can't compete in normal society. I'm miserable, so I might as well be comfortable. Yeah, comfort, yeah, that, this, this yeah, is the same this, idea. This it's is the exactly the same. They, look, there is no difference now. That, I mean, given the timeline, mm-hmm. these things are the sweatpants of this era. Correct. And, and Correct. I'm sorry. Your 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 fuzzy bears or whatever they are Correct. can stay at home. They're cute at home. Correct. They're not cute. At I, the store. I don't even know how we brought pajamas back. I think it's the pajama gram company that might be responsible here because we went as a society from growing up as cute little two and three year olds with the feet, you know, with the rubberized. Oh, yeah, yeah, feet no, look, every catch, yeah. that was all very cute and fine, and maybe the Dennis the Menace thing with the pack. Sliding pouch. Now, now thing. see, I and was. Then we stopped. We went to bed in shorts and a t-shirt, and we were great. And if you showed up at the store in the shorts and t-shirt, we wouldn't be calling you out today. Well, because we wouldn't be able to tell if you had just been right. out for a walk. That's right. Right. That's right. And so, I, I mean, and look, I was an early non-adopter of the pajamas as a kid. Okay. Like I remember having a battle with my mother over that, being okay. like, "No, right." I, I mean, but for me, it's. I don't like anything on my feet while I'm trying to sleep. Right. We got rid of that. At one point, it might have even been considered a fire hazard. But there was a phenomenon we had in high school here. And I don't know if you had it where you – did you go to high school in Boston or California? Uh, so two years in upstate New York oh, and then okay. out here. Well, you may have had it. But here in high school, there was the phenomenon around this very time of year where the women folk would come to school – in pajamas and must hair, the night, excuse me, the day of a big paper being due, which was the kind of look of, oh, look at me, I pulled an all-nighter. Um, I pulled an all-nighter, fair enough, but do you have five minutes? Do you have five minutes to put on some pants or a dress? No, thank you. know, so, A, Look thank, at me. Look at me. Thank I'm, goodness I need sympathy. that I either just missed that or my school was not 
you know, a victim to that. Yeah. Um, but two, here's my thing. I am I am a procrastinator. I'm a professional procrastinator. I will produce whatever 10-page paper you need the yeah. night before. Yeah. I have pulled plenty of all-nighters yeah. in my college career. You know what one of my tricks was for those? Get up, shower right, dress, That's shave, cool. get everything looking right so that you go in there and you can pull it off Absolutely. without appearing like you just pulled an all-nighter. Absolutely. It's way smoother. It's way smoother, and the physical de- uh, determines the mental. This is why schools should have uniforms. And if we don't, and if we're not careful, and we continue to let this slide, you know what's going to happen? We're going to become Maoist China because people are going to make adults wear uniforms. That's what's going to happen if we don't arrest this in its cradle right now. Well, you know what's really interesting? So it's I didn't expect to find a good political segue from this conversation. Oh, and I knew there was going would be on, one. but yes. yeah, um, the infantilization yes. of society. Yes, good is really, I believe, at the heart of so many of our problems today. And the schools are the primary culprit, but it's spread to almost every level of society. So there was a great piece I was reading about almost nobody. I I think their example was Brown, uh, might have been Yale, but apparently nobody there gets uh, anything but an A anymore. Right. Nothing but A's, right? If you cannot tell a young person... Like a B, you got a B. You did okay, but not great. There's room for improvement. If you can't tell them that without spawning two temper tantrums and a lawsuit, you're heading down a really bad road. And when you've gotten to the point where there are no standards anymore, where excellence doesn't mean anything, where average is considered as good as it gets, then we are a failed society. And these universities are are the ones leading us down this road in every capacity, I think. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to just how much you're caring and trying. We have um, we have misprioritized and disoriented maturity in this country where I believe with the flood of adult themes we have foisted on our youth, including the kinds of stuff Ron DeSantis was fighting against in the schools in Florida. We have removed children. We have yanked them out of their natural garden of Eden and foisted adulthood on them too fast so that by the time they become adults, they they are now arrested development and infantilized adults who are acting way too immaturely. And I wonder if we might come back on this theme. Adam Carolla testified before Congress on this very thing very eloquently. Would you do that with me? Let's yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Seth. Okay, we'll be Sam Stone and I will be right back. Immediately, my feet began to sweat as those two fluffy little bunnies with the blue button eyes stared sappily up at me. Come down here so I can see you better. <laughs> Well, I didn't call for that. Young David wanted to make sure to wish us both a happy Hanukkah, I suppose, which uh, is coming very close to candle lighting time right about now. So Sam Stone and David and the rest of the world, happy Hanukkah. If we can return to uh, the... Um, the matter of uh, the infantil- arrested. Yes, the yes. infantilization. I believe it starts a lot this way. Here's Adam Carolla testifying uh, before Congress. Um, here we go. We're talking a lot about the kids, and I think they're just that, kids. We are the adults, and I don't think we are doing the children. I mean, these are 18- and 19-year-old kids that are at these college campuses. They grew up dipped in Purell, playing soccer games where they never kept score and watching Wawa Wubsy. 
and we're asking them to be mature. We need the adults to start being the adults. Um, studies have shown that if you take people and you put them in a zero gravity environment, like astronauts, they lose muscle mass, they lose bone density. We're taking these kids in the name of protection, we're putting them in a zero gravity environment and they're losing muscle mass and bone density. They need to live in a world that has gravity. When you, you need to expose your children to germs and dirt in the environment to build up their immune system. Our plan is put them in a bubble, keep them away from everything, and somehow they'll come out stronger when they emerge from the bubble. Well, that's not happening. There you go. That's exactly right. Boy, he nailed that. Yep. Because this is happening in so many facets of society. You know, it, I actually was reading a little bit, a little thing. Obviously, we started out, I'm a sports nut, about Carl Malone. He was talking about when basketball players started all of a sudden showing up with all sorts of body armor on. these <laughs> knee pads and elbow pads right. and shoulder pads right. and all this stuff. And he was like, all that was to me was a giant target mm-hmm. because he saw weakness. Mm-hmm. And he was going to go after that part of that player that they were tro- so protective sure. of. And what we have done is wrap children's heads and their lives in this armor. Right. And what is underneath is very soft. It's very weak. It has not been tested physically, mentally, emotionally. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think we can all look back. There's to me, I have a I have a very good friend, his wife. I, I always have trouble dealing with because she to me tries to be unhappy mm-hmm. um and she dwells on trauma yeah intellectual emotional to yes too yeah um and it's a strange marriage to me because he's the opposite mm-hmm. he's somebody who you know water off a duck's back he's been through all sorts of things and he really has this guy is, is a former soldier he's seen uh, and he's talked about it on on a couple of quiet nights. He's seen some really horrific things and and been in some really horrific situations. And he says, "Listen, if I if I let any of those traumas affect me, then I would be paralyzed my whole life. But instead, I use them to strengthen me. If I survive that, then I can survive the next thing that comes my way." And these kids have the opposite opposite theory. They can't survive it and they avoid it, and they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And we all do. Here's what happened, I think. Thesis, I'm working out on air with you, Sam. In five years, we went from the election of Donald Trump requiring college students, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, needing cuddle dolls and safe spaces because, God forbid, a Republican was elected president, to within five years, the entire society practically— taking this country, which was founded on give me liberty or give me death, to, or even 20 years ago, let's roll, to let's roll up in a ball and hide under the bed once COVID came. Yes. And the interesting thing about your couple friend here, your married friends, is I'm guessing this woman who wallows in sadness has not had a lot of stress in life. Best guess. At Uh, least not that of a soldier. Oh, certainly not. So uh, I know... I. I know her. Actually, it's funny because I've known her longer than him. Okay. Um, so, um, 
No, she grew up in a very sheltered life. Fair enough. So when COVID came, the most vulnerable of the population was the elderly, aside from those with comorbidities. It was the elderly. And to almost a T, I can't think of an exception. All the people I knew in that age category were water off a duck's back. You know why? They've been through tough. Yeah. They've been through tougher. Yeah. And the weaklings and the roll-up under our bed and the shamers were pretty much under the age of 65. Yeah. And actually, I would I would posit they were mostly under the age of about 45, 50, which seems mostly. to be where that break was. Mostly. You know, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think there's some societal bleed in the hard blue states where you end up with people who um, – you know, continue to do to do these things is just virtue signaling. It's not even really any any form of intent on their part. They're just desperate to fit in. But those who saw life have been through life, yeah. have seen suffering, has seen depressions, have seen wars, have been through Vietnam. They they were like, yeah, okay, it'll come and go. We've well, been through this. We had a we had a we've had viruses before. I think one of the most important things, you know, and this comes to everybody at some point. I think I hope. Um, is you have to understand and accept that you will die. There will be an end to you and what you are. And depending on your beliefs, you may, you know, you may believe in an afterlife or, uh, you know, reincarnation or whatever that is. Um, but this one will end. This spark, this soul, uh, is going to leave this earth. However, you want to look at it. It's really the only thing we do know. It's it's the only thing we're one hundred percent from the day of, of birth. From the day of birth, right. yeah. But coming to the point where you can accept that mm-hmm. and not fear, mm-hmm. you know, not be terrified by the concept that this is going to be over at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've done everything we can to take that moment of clarity away from people mm-hmm. that we we built a society where we said, well, government was, will keep you alive. We'll make sure you wear a seatbelt and you eat the right things and you drive the right things and you fly the, you know, everything. Everything's and there are things safety. worth dying for, by the way. And there are things worth dying for. And, and not wearing your seatbelt is not worth lo- losing right. your life over, right? We're not over, talking right? about that. We're talking about um, big things. But, but, yeah. but right. overall, there's this impression. And, and I really notice this more when I'm like, I go visit my parents in New York or I visit friends in California. The state really tries to wrap you in a cocoon. Correct. Um, now, I don't think they're doing it for benevolent reasons. Correct. But but the effect for people is this idea that somehow they can be protected from everything. Yeah. And you can be protected from nothing. The reality of the world is you can be protected from nothing. Yeah. You have to protect yourself and then you have to be willing to accept that things are going to happen that aren't good. Yes. There's a very famous speech C.S. Lewis gave in around 1949, 1950, How to Live in the Age of an Atomic Bomb, where he was noticing after, after well, it might have been a little later because I think it was after Sputnik, when people really did start to worry about this sort of stuff. And he gave this very famous lecture. It's available online for anyone who wants to find it. But that was his point. He said the, the only thing we ever knew about this life is that it was going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, we can live life in fear or terror. There are any number of things that can kill us. Uh, he even says even a microbe, interestingly right. enough, yeah. even a microbe. He says, but when that day comes, let us be found doing productive things, bathing a child, reading a book, playing billiards with friends, having a pipe and playing darts. 
That's the way life should be lived. Let me take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sam Stone is my guest, host of his own radio show on Saturdays at 3 in the afternoon, Breaking Battlegrounds, and Sam the Paul, P-O-L, on uh, Twix, a political consultant, dear friend in town. Uh, Sam, let me just go back to the universities for a second, because when you started, you had mentioned you thought something about Brown University, and we started getting into this issue of infantilizing and uh, and 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 that sort of thing. I remember there was a moment in the 80s, early 1980s, when there was hysteria that Ronald Reagan was going to unleash a nuclear holocaust. There was a mo- movement at Brown. I don't know if you remember reading about this. There was a movement at Brown to hand out cyanide pills at the dispensary, at the infirmary. Do I, you remember vague I, hints? I of, vaguely kind right? of remember. Yeah, and yeah. And it was macabre. Yep. It, was, it was macabre. And it was, you know what, grow up. Yeah. Grow up. We're not endowing suicide here. And um, you look at these Ivy Leagues now, Sam, that should have been an early warning system. You look at the Ivy Leagues now and what happened at the hearings uh, what the day before yesterday, it turns the stomach. It turns the stomach. First of all, <laughs> first of all, these presidents that didn't give two you-know-whats about free speech up until October 8th, you know, Dennis Prager comes to town or... God forbid right. you and I were to give a talk on a college campus about something, or, or Charlie Kirk, or some federal judge no one had ever heard of. A- anybody who doesn't have the Riley Gaines opinion. Riley yeah. Gaines, she will be put in fear of her life, yep. and the co- college will defend it. <laughs> no concerns no, about care. free speech. They don't care. But these three college presidents couldn't announce and say that genocide was not welcome on their campus. It was incredible to me, and that people advised them to take this stand. Well, you know what was really enlightening was that about 24 hours later, they all came out with these statements. Oh, no, no, I was, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They must have been very proud of themselves before they talked to someone, though, right? Yeah, no. I mean, that's so that's what's interesting about it is very clear. I mean, they all had essentially the same Same exact talking line, the same, you know. And then they saw the reaction among people who matter to them, and they realized how badly they had stepped in it. But I don't believe that they have any remorse at all for what they said, and I don't believe— trying to save their jobs. Yeah, I don't believe that the subsequent clarifications or retractions or whatever—I don't believe a word of those. I don't either. I believe absolutely their view is what was said on day one. Under oath in front of Congress on international TV. Yes. And so, look, um, Harvard. Harvard is, for better and now much worse, the world's leading educational institution. Harvard and Oxford, right, are the the two that would be considered the – the top of the top. Yeah. Harvard was dead last, zero points out of 100 on the f- uh, FIRE uh, Foundation, Foundation Individual, Rights, Individual and Rights and Education on their free speech metric. Dead last among every university and college in the country, Harvard was, was at the bottom. Zero score. That's who Mara Gay is. If I, I know her last name's Gay, I don't. I, I think it's Mara. I president forget, Gay, whatever. <laughs> Harvard President Gay, current president, current Gay. president Gay. Hopefully not for right, long. Right. Um, that's who she is. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you know, she was hired to oversee the transition to a um, ideological, ideologically driven education that has no interest in free speech in even in reality. Unless it's, unless it's unless it's Jew hatred. Yeah. Well, anything that serves the interests of the leftist mm-hmm. subset, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if it's if it's if saying it isn't in the interest of the left of the extreme left, then it's a free speech issue. Mm-hmm. If hearing it is not in the interest of the extreme left, then it is harassment, bullying, and all these other garbage terms they have applied to language they don't like. Um, this is the most educationally and intellectually bankrupt display imaginable from our universities. Every one of them should be embarrassed. And, and you know, even right here at home, we've had Michael Crow make a bunch of statements along those lines. This, I mean, he went out and I forget what publication it was, but he basically said, well, anyone who doesn't toe the line on, on X, Y, and Z, they, they need to just be gotten rid of. That's what education has become. It is a national and international embarrassment. Agreed. Agreed. Let me pick up on education and the future of society when we come back, because back to the first point, we are trying to build a society here. We used to think we could do it through education systems. How do we do it now? Sam Stone and I will address that when we come right back. That's, that's fun. I, I, I see why you think that's a Christmas song. I see Holiday yeah, Holiday Road from Lindsey Buckingham for uh, the Chevy Chase movie. Sam Stone is my guest. He's the host of Breaking Battlegrounds. You can hear him every Saturday afternoon at 3. He's also a political consultant. And just one more thing before I get more to the heart of the education about the testimony of those college presidents yesterday, uh, two days ago, Sam. I look at things through odd lenses that you probably look at things through sometimes too. And you were right to say that clearly they each were coached and and prepped by the same outfit or person because they said the same exact thing weirdly. You also know that they probably paid a prime price price for that consultation. Someone was paid a lot of money. A lot. For that. Yes. And it was about the worst advice you could have given them. Well, I just want people to understand the level of what high-paid consultants can do and cannot do. And just because they're high-paid or you're elite and you think you're getting the best, that's about the, as bad as it got. You know what? It, it's So to me, that's actually less a consultant issue specifically than a bubble issue. Oh, okay. I mean, because what, what this whole episode, I mean, all of this, everything that's come out since um, October 7th has shown about our universities – is that the leadership of those universities lives in the most tightly contained bubble imaginable. They are completely blindsided and flabbergasted when they run into people who do not agree with their particular worldview. And the, the, it, it's, it's how stunned they are that to me was the most stunning yeah. element of this yeah. because it shows that these folks – if you're that tightly bubbled up, yeah. left or right, it doesn't matter. If you're that tightly bubbled up, your view of the world is going to be massively skewed. Mm-hmm. You're looking at things through a very distortive lens. And the fact that they think that that lens is – they have, were absolutely convinced that that lens was the reality yeah. of the world. Yeah. 
suggests that the issue here is much more serious and much broader societally because it means that nothing is getting through to them right. that that exists outside that bubble. So we've talked here before about how people on the right actually tend to be more educated about what people on the left think uh-huh. than people on oh, the yeah, left sure. are about what's on the right. Um, because we hear their point of view. We're kind of – it's forced down our throats. You really don't have a choice. We have no choice. It's they in the air. very clearly don't hear ours. This has come to the point where it's obvious that they do not hear anyone who is left of – who is uh, right of salon.com. Yeah. You know. Um, I also think it's we're not afraid of ideas and we do our own work yes. in reading. I mean I, I, I don't know. You do a lot of prep throughout the day for the kind of work you're engaged in not including these kinds of interviews or your own radio show, I'm going to guess, if you're like me, probably half of what you read is deliberately from a known liberal outfit. Oh, at least at, at least, least half, half of yeah. what I read yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I think it's actually critically important yeah, to understand. And, you know, I I wish everyone had more insight into that. Cause I, you know, there's there's two categories of leftist to me. Yeah, there's or rather I, I break it down. The reason I'm always very careful now to say leftists versus Democrats versus liberals is I don't think we're talking about the same Correct. thing. I, but the leftists have control mm-hmm. of everything to the left of center, including have, the Democratic right. Party today. And, and that's actually kind of another interesting thing with these universities. You know what I, I take away from this? Um they should not be 501c3 nonprofits. Totally. These are political PACs. So if you want to have them keep their nonprofit status, fine. It's a 501c4. It's a political PAC and it's not a tax-deductible donation. And that's what they are. They are the, these are not a charitable organizations in any sense of the word. They are distinctly uncharitable to everybody who counters their worldview right up to the point of being willing to accept the idea of of people calling for a genocide of Jewish people because those Jews, those those dirty Jews insist on trying to stay alive in the Middle East. It's such a weird anti-Semitism, too, when you think about it, because uh, the reason Brandeis University exists is because on the East Coast there were quotas on Jews at places like Harvard and Yale. Right. And they wanted to kind of create an institution of higher education that could, if not necessarily compete, be the place that we would not have quotas well, at on. at least be a launching pad for people who but wouldn't it, be accepted. Right. right. But yeah. it's kind of that, that, that gentleman's agreement anti-Semitism. Yeah. It wasn't people marching on campuses calling for genocide. No. It wasn't that at all. It's really the trajectory... With enlightenment, you would think, with advancement, with – is some of this, Sam, is some of this resolve, uh, uh, resultant from foreign students? Is some of it resultant from foreign money or is it just Marxist theory? It's or all is th- it the yeah, – It's all three. It's, the it's, it's all three. I mean first, these universities can charge very high rates for these students who are coming from other countries and – and we, Exxon, actually made a deal with the devil when they made a deal with the, the family of Saud, the kingdom of Saud. And that has spread the most pernicious uh, Wahhabist form of Islam worldwide using Saudi oil money. Um, so, so now the elite of all of these Islamic countries, which are the largest population, you know, religious population in the world, the elite are indoctrinated into a very antithetical, anti-Western point of view. Um, so that's part of it. Then there's the billion and a half dollars that Harvard got. Don't tell me that that doesn't affect 
what goes on at that university. And then there are the Marxists who realized that they couldn't, after generations of trying, they, they had failed to start a culture war in the United States. So they're now trying to start a race war. Um, it would be a um, it would be a, a a tragedy of the commons not to have you here, who knows municipal government so well, and uh, neglect to ask you about something that's been in the news a lot locally here, Sam. If I can just transition, and it's uh, the Phoenix Council, Phoenix City Council, and the consent decree with the U.S. Department of Justice over our police department. Take a minute here, if you don't mind laying it out, and then when we come back, we can we can talk uh, we can finish the hour with it if you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, the Department of Justice has come down. I, I believe it's twenty seven cities and, and police departments across the country now, and they've imposed these consent decrees, which can't happen without that first word consent. So the local body has to agree to it. Um, there's only one case where people have fought this off and just said no, and and you know, push the DOJ away. The other 27 are cities like Philadelphia, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Minnesota, Minneapolis. They probably welcomed it, frankly. Well, whether they welcomed it or not, what it has done is really damage their ability to maintain law and order in their communities. The DOJ uh, basically takes total control of your police department, but it's absentee control. They determine who gets hired and fired. They determine your your uh, standards and practices. They set the rules for how police interact. Uh, they are not improving the quality of policing anywhere they have gone. They suck down huge amounts of money. It costs an absolute fortune. And we'll get into the yeah, impacts. Yeah, let me have you uh, say what the state of play is here and where Kate Gallego and the city council is. Uh, yeah. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I will be right back. Who's that? Oh, my gosh. Is that Wayne Newton? Yes, you requested this. Sam Stone is my guest. yourself or I'll put in the Jingle Bell Hustle. (laughs) No, we're not doing that. (laughs) Sam Stone is my guest. Sam, so the latest news uh, this morning is uh, Speaker Toma and 17 other lawmakers have sent a letter to Mayor Gallego uh, and the Phoenix and and the Phoenix City Council saying they must reject the DOJ. You know, I I love their intent, yeah. um, but that's not going to help a yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, first off, this is going to be an agreement, and the, the state has no control over it. Phoenix is a charter city, so the state has no control. Um, and Seventeen Republicans sending a a seven out of eight member Democrat council a you know thing like that is actually stronger memo to follow. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that's that's counterproductive. Um, I love their intent, but yeah. but it may not be great politics. But at the end of the day, I mean, look, this isn't just a right wing gripe. Paul Penzone essentially announced he is not running for office again. And the reason behind the scenes is that the DOJ has control of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department, and he was effectively neutered in that job where he could not do the job. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a this is the federalizing of your police. This is taking away your police from local control. This is taking the police from the city of Phoenix and handing them to the DOJ. Um, the head of the DOJ Civil Rights Division, which is leading this charge, by the way, is someone who called to put Americans in jail who refused the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So let's not talk about this being a rights issue in any way, shape or form. This is a power issue. I, I give um, props to Ann O'Brien. Yep. Who has been the most vocal member standing up against this? Jim Waring also has been strong. We'll see where the rest of the council comes down. But this is very clear to me. Phoenix's department is not perfect, but it is one of the best in the country. It is not perfect, but it is always improving. 
We have made significant changes to that department in the last 10 or 15 years to increase transparency and improve the training and accountability of the department. And they are really one of the foremost departments in the country. Taking that away from the city of Phoenix for the DOJ to do what they've done in all these other cities, which is destroy law and order in them, that's a terrible idea. And this council, if they're smart, will fight this. Look, what what will happen? The DOJ says, listen, you either agree ahead of time or we won't give you the report until we publish it. And then you'll have 24 hours to to agree to our consent decree. But, but that sounds a lot like consent to me, right? right. Um, that's like a rapist version of consent right there. But um, so what they do is they need to give you 24 hours. You need to say, go pound sand. We'll see you in court. And we will keep seeing you in court all the way to the United States Supreme Court if necessary. Because understand, look, it's going to go through the Ninth Circuit. They'll side with the DOJ on political principles, blah, blah, blah. But fight this all the way to the top. Because giving away the control of the Phoenix Police Department will be the single worst action. It will be the legacy of Kate Gallego and this council. And it will be a terrible one. I'm so glad you're in town. I wish you were on the city council, but I'm so glad you're still here. Thank you, Sam Stone. There's, there's days I wish I was and days I'm glad I'm not. <laughs> God bless you all, too, folks. Until tomorrow, on behalf of Sam and David and the rest, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. <laughs>